Hi, I'm Tiki Barber, co-founder of Thusio. Thanks for listening to the Thusio Live and Unfiltered podcast. This episode features Jane Slater's interview with former Dallas Cowboy DeMarcus Ware. DeMarcus talks about being drafted to America's team, but also being released by Jerry Jones after nine seasons and the different atmosphere with the Denver Broncos. He details his motivation to succeed and the challenge of managing family life with the hectic schedule of an NFL player. Enjoy the interview. Well, guys, thank you for so much for coming out tonight. I love doing these events because as a reporter, I spend a lot of time in the locker room talking to these guys about the game ahead, right? So it's the week of report, right? It's responding to the game from the weekend. But when I do stuff like this, I get to introduce you to the players that I get to know off the field, the guys that are underneath the helmet, because there's so much more to them than just a jersey number and the guy in your fantasy football league. Um, I do a show (laughs) during the week that I love doing. Uh, I was just telling one of you guys the story. Uh, A lot of people didn't know who Michael Gallup was. He was a rookie wide receiver for the Cowboys. Of course, now you guys do. Uh, But he talked about life growing up on the farm as an adoptive kid and about his favorite horse named Dan. And when he scored a touchdown, my indie art buddy who didn't care about football sent me a text message. He said he scored one for Dan. So I want you guys to walk away from this, getting to know him more than just the accolades and what he did in both Denver and Dallas, but who he is off the field, what motivates him, uh, what's led him to success, where the drive comes from, and maybe how you can apply it to just your business model and your everyday life. So if you don't know who DeMarcus were, and I find that hard to believe if you're here tonight, nine years in Dallas, three in Denver. He didn't get that Super Bowl ring for the Cowboys. Sorry, local audience, but he did get one with the Broncos and got to play with the great Peyton Manning, nine-time Pro Bowler, two-time sack leader. And how about this? Jerry Jones overrode his staff's recommendation to take Marcus Spears over you, 11th overall in 2005. (laughs) And they ended up getting Marcus Spears, too, so it worked out pretty okay for them. Let's get into when you got picked by the Dallas Cowboys. What did you know about the team? What was it like getting that call from Jerry Jones? You know what's so crazy is um, I wasn't a big football fan. I actually played baseball in high school, and uh, I I blew my shoulder out my junior year of high school. And my coach came to me, and he said to Marcus, I don't think you would probably play baseball anyways. I think you should play football. And so my junior year, I started playing wide receiver. I was like six foot two, 185 pounds. I got one scholarship. And from that, you know, I probably gained about 70 pounds, got two inches taller. And, uh, and here I am now getting drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. And I, it's so crazy about, like, how you start things, right? A lot of people are like, oh, man, he was the, the best and what he did when he was younger. Oh, no, 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 no. It's been a long road, and we'll hear about that tonight. What is it about, you know, you talk about how people remember you, right? Like, everyone sees how you finish. They don't always know how you start. What motivated you to succeed at the highest level in baseball, in football? You ran track. You did basketball. What motivated you? Where did that come from? It came from my granddad. Uh, my granddad was a very, very hard worker. He was a janitor. Um, he worked at Mr. Gaddy's. You know, it's like almost like Papa John's Pizza. And uh, he was a head of the recreation center. And uh, he always told me, hey, DeMarcus, what I want for you to do is always put your head down at the plow. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And well, I'm, I'm from Alabama, right? It's from the south. He's like, I want you to put your head down 
And I just want you to plow your way all the way to where you need to go and don't look back. Because if you got your head down at the ground, you ain't got to worry about what's at the top. And I took that with me every single place that I went to. If I was a lawn guy, if I was a librarian, I was a librarian. Um, if I, <laughs> if I um, whatever job, I actually works at McDonald's too, flipping the patties. But whatever I did, I did the, the best that I could. And I was so motivated because I didn't have anything. And sometimes when you don't have something, you always have a lot of bite. And that's what I always tell people. And what I mean by bite, that's um, when you always are searching for something that you don't have, even if it's unattainable, you still try to get it. And a lot of people don't have that. They will just, okay, well, you, a lot of things are given to them. And they say, ah, cool, I can just get another. No. Like, whatever's mine is mine, and you own it. And that's how I've always, you know, uh, lived my and been in my career. So how old were you for your first job? How old were I? was 13. 13, what was that? 13, I was a librarian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, what I was did a you learn as a librarian? I, I knew with a fish, I think it's called a fish. I don't even know how to say it anymore. Back there in the back, I was where the science projects were. And, uh, you know, like the, um, it was like the uh, little, the huge, um, I can't even remember. It, oh, I'm, I, uh, it's, you know what I'm talking about. It's it like the film the deal. New, all the news. Yeah. Like, so if you're going through and you're looking for the, they've had it. The microfish. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're sliding all, it through. All that stuff back there. It's very foreign to our younger yeah. millennials. <laughs> I was an expert back there. You were an expert. And all the children books. I was an expert at children books. Like really putting them in order and everything, alphabetical order. I was a monster at that. Okay, so after that, did you get promoted to a job working at McDonald's? No, I didn't. I actually, my second job, it was crazy, but I, was, I went to a farm in Alabama, and they said, DeMarcus, can you cut this grass? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I can cut grass. And so the, actually the lawnmower had, you know, like the ones that are self-propelling, right? And so you get back there, and I'm like, it doesn't have a chain on it. And he was like, no, just, just push it. And so the grass is actually like this high. And it's a push lawnmower. And so you crank up the lawnmower, and you know how you lean it back like this? <laughs> and you just like lean it, and it, it, each time you just keep going down until you get to the bottom of the ground. That was my first job for two acres. You're working it. on your dynamic right? core back then. Like, you don't even understand. <laughs> and then he said, hey, DeMarcus, my, uh, my worker is actually not in. Can you pick eggs? And I said what do you mean, pick eggs? He said, so you just go in it, <laughs> go into the, the rooster. You know, it's like a huge barn. It's almost like the size of a football field. And it has all of these chickens and hens in there. And I walk in, I see this huge chicken snake. He's like, don't worry about him. He's just eating the chickens. And I said, okay. So I'm picking eggs, 25 cents an egg every day. And I'm counting like, 25 75 $1, $5, $10. <laughs> I'm talking about, I picked so many eggs, I probably got about $100 a day doing that. And I, I loved it, but that was like one of my jobs. And I, I can still go to that spot right now. He looks at me, I'm not picking any eggs. I'm just letting you know that. I won't do that. <laughs> but he would ask me, hey, you want to pick some eggs? So that was my second job. Okay, so was McDonald's your third job? No, McDonald's was there not was my more. third job. I actually worked for the Auburn Housing Authority. And so I went in, and uh, I was a computer science major, so what I ended up doing was doing all the electrical and all the apartments. 
all the lights, you know, doing the AC stuff. I'm at a young age. I'm talking like 15. I'm doing all of that stuff. I mean, taking out, taking toilets out, putting new toilets in, buffing the floors. But then the fourth job was McDonald's. It, it was McDonald's. And I, I probably worked there for about two months. It just was too hot back there flipping those burgers. It was, it was that's why my hair is gone now, but, but it was real. You know, you talk about, I would imagine a lot of people in the audience didn't even know that that was part of your, your background and your past. What are some of those stops just early in your age lend itself to the football career and the drive and, and this idea of making it to the NFL? I mean, covering this game and being even at the draft every year, what is it, 363 guys get, accept, get invited and so many of them are out of the league in four to five years, but they're, you know, they've got the draft parties and they're excited about what life's going to look like in the NFL and then you and I have both seen it. In a matter of years, your life changes, your identity changes, and then what next? So I've got to think that that foundation and that background had to teach you a little bit about hard work. Yeah, the, the background in always knowing hard work but being focused. And a lot of people, they aren't focused all the time. So usually when they get to the top, the bullseye is pretty small. And we were talking about that. Your bullseye is pretty small, but then the next year, it actually gets a lot bigger because everybody knows who you are. And... Every year it gets bigger and bigger, so it's easier for someone to shoot you down. And so I always tell them you got to be able to keep your identity, but you got to be able to change. You got to be able to move that bullseye around so they can't hit you. And a lot of guys they they think are or they get complacent, or companies they'll get complacent on who they are instead of trying to put the tentacles out and chameleonize yourself. Because I had to do that every single season to where I would look at what other guys are doing well, and I'm going to do it in, this, in the same game that I'm playing against that guy. I'm going to learn how to do it. Instead of saying, I'm going to do my own thing. I, I, I'm the best at what I do. And um, that's what's really helped me out in that hard work mentality, hard work and focus. And uh, from that point, every single year, I was like, how con consistent can I be? And don't worry about the results. Football does have such a shelf life. We've talked mm -hmm. about it. And, and father time waits for no one. We talked about the fact the Cowboys took you as their 11th overall pick in that 2005 draft, but you had a pretty intense head coach your first year, Bill Parcells. Yes. Do you guys have demanding bosses? If your bosses are in the room, <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand, but I would imagine all of you at some point in your life have had a demanding boss. I can't think of any other coach in the league more demanding than Bill Parcells, and I'm including Belichick in that. Mm -hmm. What was it like having a guy like him early on in your career? You know what, um, the crazy thing is he reminded me of my granddad. He was one of those guys where he was real nourishing, but he hated to let you see that he, was, he liked you. And uh, he always played like these mental games all the time. So one thing I had to do was carry him orange Gatorade to after every single break in practice. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? And so imagine like you're on the 10-yard line on one end, and when practice, the little practice, you know, session is over, he's over on the other side. So it's about 110 yards on the other side. So I had to run and go and take him orange Gatorade. But the trainer gave me blue Gatorade <laughs> the first time. Was that and a test? There was a test. And so I ran over there and gave him the blue Gatorade, and he looks at me. He's like, I don't like blue Gatorade. And the first thing I said was, you know, that's exactly what I said. 
And from that point on, I was like, you know, he's playing mind games with me. I got to be really prepared. And so the next time, I made sure I put some Gatorade over there. I put a Gatorade <laughs> jug over there where I knew he was going to be at. And I put him in every single corner. And so wherever he went, I ran over there, I got the orange Gatorade, and I gave it to him. Like, again, being prepared for situations that you don't know about. But guess what? You make one mistake and don't make it again. Every story I've ever heard about Bill Parcells was that he suffered no fools. In other words, you come to him with solutions, not problems. How is that applied even just in your everyday life now, sort of having someone that demanded that of you early in your career? Um, I think if you demand a solution, if you're strong enough, you can find out um, the, the, the problem that's creating that solution. What I, and what I mean by that is like, there are so many people out there that go straight to the problem. They go straight to the bad thing, knowing that they already have the solution. And they harp on the bad stuff all the time. I mean, like people would say, okay, well, why don't I have, whatever, a million dollars? Well, you have $3 million in your account. That's the solution. Why don't you invest 5% of that into something, and, and now you got a paycheck every year. They don't think about what they already have. They think about what they can go and get. And that's what's been a big thing for me. I work hard, and I do exactly what I need to do. And then, you know what? I, I, be, I reap the benefit from that. Talking about reaping the benefits from the hard work, you ended up amassing, what was it, 138.5 mm-hmm. sacks? Don't miss that five, baby. Don't miss that five. That's important. <laughs> they say you never forget your first. Do you remember your first sack in the league? I think we've got I, I, some I, video uh, of it. I, I, remember, I remember my first sack. Um, it was actually on a tight end. Uh, I think the guy was like named Ratay or something like that, the quarterback. Uh, you remember that first one, right? And so I pushed the tight end back, and I got that first sack. And so that was the first one I was like, okay, I have arrived. Because you can get them in the preseason all you want to. They don't count. It's all about <laughs> the, what, what goes on paper. It don't matter how you get them, that number comes up. And uh, that, that was that, that thing for me to let me know that I arrived. It was big. What do you remember ab- about that game with LaDainian Tomlinson in San Diego? <sighs> with LT. With LT. You, you know, the thing is, I remember playing against LT, and um, he had 22 touchdowns. It was one game, and I was like, how is he so small, but he can, you know, just crush us like that? I think he had like 237 yards on us and he was and every single time he scored a touchdown he was he did that you know what I'm talking about <laughs> it's like this little thing and dropped the football you know what I'm saying and uh he scored the, his 22nd touchdown and the first thing I didn't really care about the stats I was like how do you do it after the football game I asked him so how do you do it he said you know what I never look back I never look at the results that were on the paper I said I always wanted something that I wanted to achieve and I just had that number in my head, I didn't say how I didn't know how far I was from it, but I always just was focused on it. And I sat back and I started thinking about, hmm, maybe I need to start doing that. And so that's what I did, like my whole career, every year. I want to lead, you know, to lead the league in sacks. I want to make the Pro Bowl. I want to win a championship. And I always had it out there, but never lose focus. And again, I always say people lose focus in what they do. If you stay there, you'll always be successful. What kept you humble over the years? Because at some point it was... My grandma. Your grandma. 
So you had a family similar to mine. No matter what you did, you come home and they, they bring you right back down to earth. Yes. Um, I think family. I'm a big family man. I got my little daughter that I adopted. She's 12. My son, he's eight. And what keeps me humble even before that was serving something bigger than you. And not to get on it, but that was God for me. And I said, if I serve something bigger than me, I can make a bigger impact um, to others than I can even fathom myself. And then when I had my kids, it was over. I was like, you know, this is what I'm doing this for. I can leave a legacy for them, but I can be a great example. So now not only I can be an example, I got two more and let that keep multiplying and we can make a big impact. Okay, but be honest. It's one thing when you're playing in the league because there's so many demands. A lot of people don't realize that you guys, some of you, Sean Lee in particular, gets the facility at 5 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. Y'all are working out. You have team meetings. A lot of you guys don't leave the facility until 8 or 9 o'clock, and you're still watching film. How do you fit in being a father then? I just had Jeff Heath on a show that I did, and they've got a six-month-old. So it's been a real adjustment for him. But to have two kids in the household and still perform at the high level that you did, how do you – Time manage and balance all of that. You know, which is, which is an awesome question you just asked. You figure out how to make them your team. And, I, and when I get home, I'm like, hey, son, so uh, can you be the offensive tackle for me right here? Right there. I, and I tell my daughter, hey, can you be the quarterback? And so <laughs> I would take my work home. I would involve um, them in every single thing that I did because – it, it was an all-the-time all thing. It was just not a sometime thing. That's what Bill Parcell said. I still is ringing in my head right now. And that's what I feel like people need to always think about. You can carry your work home, but incorporate them as in your team. And that's what a lot of people that are retired, they're used to having guys that they work with, but they don't understand that now your new team is your family. And you got to now figure out how to, you know, um, Make them work. Make your team work. And um, it's, it's just, but they don't do that because it's hard. It's a very, very hard thing when you've been in that locker room like that. How much easier is it to have that harmonious personal life to also succeed in your professional? Um, say, ask, ask that one more time so I can get a real detail with that. Is it important to have a harmonious personal life in order to be successful in your professional? Yes. And what, what I think that she's asking me is, if you're not comfortable with yourself, you're not going to be comfortable with the people around you. And if you, you have to focus on you and you got to be comfortable with people not liking you. And How hard is that as an athlete? It's, it's, very, very, it's very, very hard because you want everybody to like you. I'm a people pleaser. And I had, one of the best books that I read was a book called Boundaries. And teaching me how to actually set boundaries and not try to please everyone and be happy with people not liking you. And I, I used to be like, what? So you want, me to be un you want me to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations? Yes, that's what we need. Because a lot of people want it to be easy, right? And we know it in work. Everybody wants to be the boss that everybody likes. But at the end of the day, the ones that are performing and doing the right things, those bosses, you're like, I like working for him because guess what? Your check is bigger, right? Your company's not going down. Everything is a lot more reliable. You might not like him, but he's a great business partner, which is okay. It's okay if, if, you don't, if you're not liked. There are so many chapters of the Dallas Cowboys organization. You know, I think of the Staubach years with Drew Pearson. I think of 
the Jimmy and and uh, Barry Switzer years at mm-hmm. Troy and Emmett and those guys. And then I look at your, your, your generation as Romo, Witten, uh, your group. You were so synonymous with that generation of players. What was it like when you walked into the office that day and they were releasing you? It was, it was I think a lot of hard. fans were shocked. It, it, it was hard um, because, you know, you play for an organization for so long and you, you know, you, you spew out your blood, sweat, and tears. And, you know, you sign a big contract. And every year, if you want to get other players, you got to take like a little bit of a pay cut, and you're doing that for yourself and the team, and you get to the end of your career, and they're like, hey, we owe you this amount of money in your salary, and we can't, we have to get rid of you. And one thing I really liked is when Jerry Jones came to me, and he sat me down, and he said, DeMarcus, I can't pay you. I'm being honest with you. I can't pay your salary. And I was like, Okay, so what do, I, what do I do? He said, we can keep you here, but I feel like I want for you to go out and test the market because you have a great opportunity to go out and still play some years of football. And I thought, like, you're looking out for me. And uh, that was a, a great thing from an owner, someone that, like you know, a lot of you own businesses when you're doing something for your customer or employee. And I went to Denver, but then when I walked into that locker room where you was talking about, it was hard because you got someone you played your whole career with, Jason Witten, Tony Romo, and you going and you're like, hey guys, I just got released. So it was almost like the music's playing first, and then it was like, boom, hold up. So what happened? I was like, yeah, this, this happens. And so you get on the plane, you go to another team, but you never lose that connection with the guys, but it's hard. It's almost like a dagger, and, and your business is going down. So... Um, but the thing is, you go on. You, I took the helmet off on one team. It was still the same business, and I put another hat on, and I still was doing the same thing. And that's what a lot of people have to do. You might get fired from a company, or you might be the best at the company, but you still are great at what you do, so you keep striving and find uh, what you like and you enjoy. Rob Ryan joked that when Jerry let him go that he'd find a job in, what was it, five seconds? And... He ended up getting one a couple of months later. Right. Yours took how long? Um, about, about about five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it was about five seconds. I actually left from the facility, and I got on a plane right after. And I'm sitting on the plane, and guess who calls me? Bill Parcells. And I'm sitting on the plane. He said, DeMarcus, is this really what you want to do? I said, I have no choice. It was, I'm like, Bill Parcells calling me. How do you know what's going on? It's been only like five minutes, right? And so he calls me and from an anonymous number, and I was like, you know what? This is, this is cool. Like, cause I'm like, I hadn't talked to him in probably like three or four years. But he said, if this right here is the best business decision for you, that's what you need to do. He said, because this right here is a business, and you need to look at it that way. And I said, okay. I said, I always can come back. I told him, I said, I always can come back. And Aqib Tlaib was right behind me. I didn't know what Aqib Tlaib was. I'm going to let you all know that I don't watch a lot of football. <laughs> I can play football, and the strategy Isn't of football, I can break it down. Isn't that shocking to some of you guys? Huh? Isn't that shocking to some of you guys when you hear that some of these football players don't actually watch a lot I don't watch it. I just started watching it, eating hot wings and popcorn. and <laughs> kind of nice, isn't it? With my son. Kind of nice. Maybe have a brew from time to time. <laughs> Belvedere, there you go. All right? But... 
but now I'm starting to have fun with it. But it, it was an awesome opportunity. You know, we talk about leadership, uh, this relentless pursuit of, of perfection that you've put in your own personal life, regardless of time and, and, and place. So once again, you're getting called upon to do great things. That team had Peyton Manning um, as their quarterback. Von Miller was there, as you said, Aqib Tlaib. Already a great team. Who did you go to as a leader in that locker room, and when did you find yourself comfortable with then being a leader in a, in a new place? Um, the first person I went to, you always got to go to the person that's like probably over everything. So I, I go talk to Peyton. For Actually, Peyton called me as soon as I land in Denver. He was like, hey, as soon as you get to Denver, you're going to get on that train, and it's going to say, you know, like the weird, I don't know if you've been to Denver. It's one of the most the, difficult airports. It's like you go through the train, and then you get like, hello, this is DeMarcus Ware of the Dallas Cowboys or the Denver Broncos. Welcome to Denver. <laughs> that's what it says, and it has a whole bunch of the players on it. He said, you're going to hear that. You're probably going to hear me. Um, you know, he's a little arrogant, a little something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said, you, you're, you're probably going to hear me, DeMarcus, but, you know, I, I'll see you in a little while. And so, <laughs> and so we got there and went to the, you know, uh, talked to him. And I, I still was out of place because you're going to a whole new team. And I said, you know what? I wonder if they're going to accept me or not. And you got like Vaughn Miller, all these big time players. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to, you know, do what I usually do, just work hard. And believe me, people will see you. And so I get there. The first three weeks, oh, DeMarcus, where you're the captain. Captain of what? <laughs> and you're the captain of the defense, and Peyton Manning's the captain of the offense. I actually didn't know that. Yep. They made you – for people that don't understand, it's voted on by, by your team. teammates. Yes. And how hard is it to be a it's captain? Very, it's very, very hard. And the guys are – they get pissed off if they're not you know, being a captain, it's a, it's a big deal, right? Because you put the C on your chest and you are the person that make the decisions. So if it's almost like you're a coach. So if something happens in practice and we're like, nah, we're starting over, no one's going to say anything. I'm like, okay, cool. That's my C for not captain, actually for coach. They just <laughs> tell you that. So, but it, it was good, really good. So it was easy for you to emerge as a leader in, in that new place, in that new spot? Because I figured out I didn't lose my identity, but I chameleonized myself in a new way. I stayed who I was, but I didn't change, um, you know, the, the way that I do things. And it was just a new outfit, just like you putting on a new suit. That was, that was fine. I said, and, and guess what? I have the same type of, you know, admirations leading the league in sacks, making a Pro Bowl, trying to win a championship, the same thing. And uh, a lot of people don't see that usually. When you go into a new spot, let's say if you're not working for NFL Network anymore and you go to ESPN, oh, man, I'm not working for NFL Network. No, it's the same network. Yeah. And you're still amazing at what you do, so just go somewhere else. But sometimes it's also about the teammates that you're surrounded yeah. with. Because when I came to NFL Network – I felt like there was, I worked at ESPN, and yes. I felt like there was a little bit more of a shared philosophy. Their, their approach to the job was mm -hmm. very similar to mine. Talk to me about nine years in Dallas. You guys couldn't bring that Super Bowl mm -hmm. ring, but you got it pretty quick in Denver. Right. What was it about that team, your teammates, the employees around you that led to the ultimate success? Um, when I was in Dallas, there was a lot of leaders. There was a lot of chiefs, but there were no Indians. And you figure out that 
if you want to win something, everybody has to come together with the same type of mentality and everybody can't be the chief. And I've always told people that, you know what, you can be the, the leader, but eventually if you're in a group of people, you need to find somebody that you need to be able to go follow. Because that's going to be the person that is going to be able to lead everybody else. And that was one thing that was a little bit different. Both organizations had great owners, had great facilities, had great talent. But here, they were, we were older, we had family, and so when we leave the facility, we're gone. And I get to Denver, and as soon as I go in the locker room, I see people like dancing and uh, playing cards, and I'm like, what? What I'm I'm an old head. I'm I'm coming in nine years. I'm like this like old head. It's like you know mature. <laughs> but I was like, what is? Why are they doing this? Why are they staying after work? Their 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 wives will come up there and they will have like big food trucks and stuff just there, just hanging out. And so I started thinking to myself when I was on the football field, I know why he's playing so hard. I I want to play for him. I know why he's acting the way he's acting today. I want to play for that next guy. And we got so close in the locker room by bringing everything that characterizes us into what we did. And we were almost like unstoppable. It was like a mantra that we had that iron sharpens irons and another man sharpens another. That was one thing. We had a mantra, a mantra that it was unbreakable. We can be 13 seconds in a football game by three points, we're down. And we would be like, ah, we, we, we got this. And no one would look at each other. You know how you look at the room and somebody say, we got this. And then someone says, <laughs> there was none of that. Everybody was pumped. So it sounds like there was a culture shift. It was, very, it was a big culture shift and everybody bought in. Mm. Everybody buys in OTAs in many camps, but when the iron hits the fire and the metal starts being molded, does everybody gonna, is everybody going to put their hand in there? That's what we did. Thanks for listening to the Thuzio Live and Unfiltered podcast with our guest, Demarcus Ware. Make sure to subscribe to Thuzio Live and Unfiltered wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at Thuzio.